Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird. I have my co-host with me, as always. Matt Parman. Yes. Yeah, I'm um, Matt High. He is uh, <laughs> semi-lucid today. Um, and uh, joining us are two regular guest hosts. Uh, in one corner, we got our friend Tom. Welcome back. What's up? And then we Matt, have Matt being semi lucid is about all we can ever ask for. So <laughs> that's the most we ever yeah. ask. Him. <laughs> and then uh, in the other corner, we have a uh, fellow podcaster. Uh, I'm trying to get better at, at plugging people's things when I have them them guesting, but uh, host of the Days of Future podcast, X Men podcast, as well as. Um, Failure to Franchise, which is a new podcast that I highly recommend, is uh, our old buddy Trev. Hey, hey, you don't recommend Days of Future Podcast? That's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think people should listen to both, but uh, but thanks for having me back. Yeah, you said you were going to surprise us when I introduced well, you. I, I, yeah, I didn't know if we had any other banter, but I, I do have a little bit of a surprise. I just I'll, I'll, so I'll come in hot with this because I know uh, I have something that I might excite you guys. Uh, something maybe you're. Uh, your listeners will appreciate. So I, I promise this is going somewhere that's related to your show. But uh, <laughs> I recently, uh, for the first time in a couple of years, rewatched Boogie Nights. Oh um, yeah, that's that's my favorite kaiju movie. Also, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, well, Dirk yeah, Diggler. You, yeah, you could say Dirk. Dirk, Dirk pants, yeah, you? yeah. He's got uh, he's got a kaiju in his pants. That's true. No, no. no but uh, so like watching Boogie Nights, uh, which I hadn't watched in a couple of years, uh, and I, you know, it's a, a movie I love. Um, you it know, holds see up. Mark- I, I watched it maybe two years ago. It's still excellent. You know how good Mark Wahlberg is in that, and just like how what he's like. I mean, usually, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so I watched it, and it kind of got me. Uh, I was thinking, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, how I have this book that I read like a long time ago, and I was like, oh, I should revisit that. And so I just reread the book, um, "The Other Hollywood: The Uncensored Oral History of the Porn Film Industry" by Legs McNeil and Jennifer Osborne. Um, I believe Bird knows this about me, but I love oral history books. It's like my favorite kind of uh, history book, and, and especially when they're about things like entertainment. I, I'm and glad uh, you followed up the word oral with history books, because I thought this was <laughs> going to be a v- much different conversation. Well, I wonder if – I mean, maybe they're thinking of that as a pun when they when they titled it. But no, this is oral history. If, if people don't know, like an oral history book is essentially where the author himself is really just an aggregator, and really the whole book is made up of interview clips of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, and what I like about oral histories is that – you tend to get like everybody's perspective. So you'll see disagreements and someone will say, Oh, it happened this way. And then the next person's like, well, that's not how I remember it. Um, so this one tracks the whole history of the porn industry, which, you know, not surprisingly for anyone that's seen Boogie Nights or knows a little bit about it is, is far more fascinating than people might think. Cause obviously, you know, for a long time, the mafia was involved and controlled it and just like so many different things going on with like drug usage and just insane stuff. But I got to a segment in here called video vixens, which is covering um, the, you know, what was going on in porn from the years from 81 to 84 and I came across something that I thought your listeners might find interesting. Um, so they're talking to a porn star here named Kelly Nichols, I guess a classic porn star of that 80s uh, you know, era when the video was just starting to boom. And she's talking about what she was up to during this time, or I guess it's slightly before this time. And she says uh, she's trying to talk about how she, you know, her road to porn. And she says, I worked as Jessica Lang's stunt double for King Kong. They wanted to use the gorilla hands on me. They were like these robot hands with fur. But after the first day of shooting, the hands broke. So I got the run of the MGM lot for two weeks. I just walked around in my little costume and onto the set of New York, New York and Logan's Run. 
and she goes on to say, they were going to use my boobs because Jessica Lang didn't want her showing when King Kong's finger comes down her chest. But then at the last minute, <laughs> Jessica decided she did want her boobs in the movie. I realized I really don't belong in a Hollywood system. So I barely, <laughs> the way that's worded, I just thought like, okay, so she went to porn because she wasn't allowed to show her boobs in King Kong. But I just thought maybe that's a little bit of King Kong trivia that you guys didn't know that uh, Kelly Nichols, famous porn star, was uh, Jessica Lange's stunt double. That's interesting they, um, because in the movie, her character, Dwan, they don't come right out and say it, but considering the time period and and yeah the, the, the she was on uh like they find her at the beginning of the movie like it out like washed up at sea because she was on a boat that sank and she it was it was like a movie crew and it, it's very clear in the way the dialogue is worded that it it was m- most likely intended mm-hmm. to be a porn film that she was in so mm-hmm. that's it that's <laughs> that's interesting for sure yeah, I thought you might. I thought you guys might appreciate. It. I mean, I know I'm. You know, just I thought anytime you guys can get some new King Kong information. Yeah, well, no matter, well, no matter the source. Well, now that you've uh, distracted <laughs> anybody listening, and and they'll be tuning in, and they'll, they'll be coming back in about an hour. Um, yeah, they're all looking up Kelly Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can talk about. Uh, there's a couple things people people like. They like love, and they like monsters. What happens when you when you put them together? You get Love and Monsters, the 2020 film uh, by director Ma- oh that that's the writer Michael Matthews, written by Brian Duffield and Matthew Robinson. Um. Uh, and uh, this is part of that weird kind of interesting thing where there's like these monster movies that are still are being made but like for whatever reason they don't quite land in the the like the kaiju circles as much as they should um i other movies i would put in there like colossal um there was an article that me and tom were reading a couple months ago, it was a few years old, but it was like nobody's watching the best giant monster movies, and it, it brought oh, up yeah. yeah, remember it brought up a few. It brought up like a monster calls. Um, is it I kill giants? I kill giants. Yeah, and, and colossal, and it was like they're making these movies, and it's not all Godzilla or King Kong. You know, there's other stuff out there. People just like aren't watching. Uh, this this definitely falls into that category of like yeah this is a giant monster movie like like why why where there's but there's some kind of disconnect here and i don't know if it's just you know it not being part of an ip that everyone knows or or what but well um, not to be fair bird before you criticize everyone for that i do remember your reaction to this trailer was meh while the rest of us were all like well i don't know that looks cool it's got giant monsters bird was a grumpy ass about this this trailer can confirm um, jeez, you guys are right, you guys are already going in. I haven't even said anything. I haven't even talked about the my reaction to the movie. You just talking about the trailer. Uh, my reaction to the movie is not much different. But <laughs> and I and I I'm I'm, I knew I was probably going to be the lone wolf here. But uh, we should say too, this is a movie. This is another movie, a 2020 movie that was affected by COVID. But in a in a more interesting way, in that this is the rare case where it got kind of bumped up. 
because this was originally supposed to be a theatrical release for this year. It's supposed to be a February 2021 theatrical release. And then they decided to like bump it up to do a video on demand release in uh, October of last year. So that was a weird move. I don't know. Huh. I guess they I guess they just felt like it was never going to get the hype they originally thought it was going to at that time. So why not just put it out while like that VOD thing was starting to gain some heat, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I, I think the VOD, this also played in like the theaters that were open too. So it was like mm-hmm. that dual thing, which must, some, yeah, yeah they, which a lot of movies are doing, some aren't like the, that's the reason we haven't reviewed monster hunter is for whatever reason, they thought that would <laughs> bring people into the theaters. I don't know, but you know, but yes, we will, we will review monster yeah. hunter when they thought everyone was willing to go sit in a theater and die for uh, a Paul, a Paul W. S. Anderson. I mean, I'm willing to die for Milojovic, but not in the way they're looking at. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we will get to Monster Hunter when it's you know when we don't have to risk our lives. Uh, but anyway, um, and the, Trev, is, this is another one I think that was this sitting around for a while too. Was this like a similar thing to Underwater? I know this was written. A really long time ago, and filmed. It was written a long time ago, but it was it was filmed in 2019. Okay, so, okay, yeah. um, okay. I think I think it might be a case where like the, it was definitely it, maybe it was I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that as the script sat there, it suddenly got more rushed and uh, kind of got going once Brian Duffield gained some heat because he's really had he's really having a moment in the last couple of years, you know. Yeah, this is this is a, one of those movies that up until last year i would have said boy this is you know this is the kind of movie we would have all maybe gone and seen in a theater and i would have guarantee come out in my you know review spoiler alert i liked it but i would have said something like go out and see this because they don't make this kind of movie anymore they don't make these mid-budget that still manage to feel like big budget kind of movies anymore because it's they never make a ton of money and then everyone's just pissed off. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, like overlord. Right. Yeah. And now though, you wonder if that this might be more of the default going forward of this, like let's spend 30 to $50 million and like, hope we make, you know, a couple hundred, a few hundred because spending 300 million, uh, even in in a post COVID world, ultimately when we hopefully get there relatively soon, might still be just wildly risky. I, I guess it's ultimately going to depend. Well, I was going to say just to brief. I just realized that thinking of the timeline, I was gonna, there's probably there might be two things that got them going on this. One is Brian Duffield kind of blowing up, but the other, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Zombieland Two actually being a surprise hit, maybe uh, kind of got them going a little bit too. But anyways. Um, when you say that, Tom, I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, like, what's going to be the the test of are they making money off of these things? Like, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it says that this has a budget of 30 million, and right now the box office is 1.1 million. So, is that even still going to be worth it for them to make these like mid budget movies? Because how do they make the money back on them? I well, mean, we still don't yeah, we still I don't mean, know, right, right? Like right now, right? Obviously, you can't even get into a theater. I mean, 
yeah. well this is, this is still a rental movie too like i you you still have to pay to rent it so i don't know mm-hmm. you know i don't know how but, much but of it, that and that's what's never going to go beyond that though right like it's not going to be a huge physical media hit because that's not a big thing anymore you know so unless they end up selling this for a big money amount to some streaming service um but i don't know if this is the kind of film that would get that kind of deal so i don't know hmm, yeah um so yeah love and monsters um i guess we ready to just is there anything we should know i I guess we can we can tell people who brian duffield is yeah i mean Uh, i he seems to be the only behind the camera person that is kind of prolific although uh the other writer matthew robinson has uh some stuff he's working on like a little shop of horrors remake and but uh but yeah brian duffield is a guy that i don't i guess what i guess the babysitter is probably his first like i guess hit i guess it's a netflix movie but i it it was a popular one he's been kind of floating around like right like um so he's he sold like a spec script called your bridesmaid is a bitch um back in like uh the earlier 2010s and then in uh, 2012, he sold a script called Monster Problems to Paramount Pictures, um, which essentially is this. It's the, that's what this kind of morphed into. That's uh, in this, you know. I like Matthew the, I like this title better. <laughs> also, Love and Monsters. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah, know. Once, yeah. So Matthew Robinson came on for like rewrites at that point, and then that's when it kind of morphed into Love and Monsters. And then Duffield's like first like kind of I guess this is his first writing assignment was one of the uh, one of the Divergent movies. Um, was that the one we saw? Uh, Insurgent? Is that the one we saw? <laughs> I don't know. Which one did we see? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for those who don't know, Bird and I did an experiment where, uh, as a, just a, as just a goof, we went to see, what was it, like the third Divergent movie? Even though yeah, we had it was, yeah, for, for, and, our, for our old podcast, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It, we were, I, I, we were like, you know what we should do is we should <laughs> go see a movie, a franchise movie that we have no, nothing, no knowledge of, and see, like, the of of like the second or third one without knowing what it's about and just see what mm-hmm. happens and it like uh, almost it like broke us it truly was one of the most confusing two hours of our life yeah um and then he so after divergent he he did a movie called or he wrote a movie called jane got a gun which is kind of infamous for having a bunch of like behind the scenes problems uh, a western with natalie portman i think it's the one where like the first day of filming the director just didn't show up or something and they had to like hurriedly find a new director and then, as you said, he finally gets really going with some, uh, you know, once he does The Babysitter, which, like you said, was a, a really big hit for Netflix. And then just this year alone, 2020, he did um, he wrote Underwater, which, you know, didn't light up the box office, but was pretty well received from the fan base it was aiming for. Yeah. And then it, he it also sounds wrote... Like, it sounds like of all these... I'm just kind of reading between the lines. I don't know if you listen to the Color of the Dark podcast with him, but it sounds like of all of these, that's the one that's probably the most different from what he wrote. In terms of like what his screenplay was and how, what the movie ended up being, uh, I mean, I don't. It, I have thoughts on that, but it's not for this time. <laughs> but <laughs> and he also wrote uh, Spontaneous this year, which also is like another one that just kind of got dumped out there into VOD, but also you know got really uh, well received critically. So, so yeah, he's definitely like you know he hasn't had like a huge box office hit yet, but clearly people like his writing style, and uh, he keeps getting more and more work. So. 
I mean, I'm a fan. I've, 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 I like the babysitter. I loved underwater. I loved spontaneous and, uh, and I like this movie. So, <clears throat> and that, yeah, I, I'll say I, I love the babysitter. I really, really liked, maybe loved underwater. I'd, I'd want to watch that movie again. That's one of those movies, not to get too on a tangent, uh, where like the, the Blu-ray has never come down off of its like initial $30 price. Yeah. Um, I'm just waiting for that to, to come down to like 10 bucks, and I'll go out and buy it. Um, and I, uh, I did not like The Babysitter 2, but I enjoyed Spontaneous, despite uh, parts of it, I think, being a little problematic. He didn't write um, Babysitter 2, though. He's just a producer on it. Well, I hated it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I like this. So yeah, so yeah, he's he's someone to keep an eye on, and you know, uh, if he ever, you know, uh, well, well, he did direct Spontaneous, and I thought mm-hmm. that was well directed and obviously well written, and and uh, so yeah, he's he's kind of a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah, and he seems to have a voice that's already kind of clear, right? Like this, in kind of like dabbling in this kind of this genre world and 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 making it kind of character driven. Um, it seems like his his niche is kind of emerging. So, for the kind of movies we all enjoy, he seems like someone who will probably be a name we're familiar with for a while for the next few years. Um. Unless you're bird and you're just a crab ass. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, well, like, since yeah. I think I think Tom is the one that probably likes this movie the most, I'll let him do our 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 plot breakdown. Okay. I mean this one this one has got a pretty simple plot. Um so Earth has been destroyed. Uh basically a, a giant asteroid. This is all told in the first opening minutes, which this is where I could see the the typical like I want to watch the big buildings go boom type of person would would call it quits on this is right in the opening we've got like this little uh, hand drawn type of thing that shows us like an asteroid was headed for Earth um, in order to stop the asteroid we fired all of our missiles at it uh, bad news all of our missiles have chemicals and radiation on them and that chemicals and fallout fell back to Earth on chunks of meteor that caused all cold-blooded animals to mutate into giant monsters and attack the Earth. Um, By the time all the big ones were taken care of, a lot of the major cities were destroyed, and then there's now, to this day, just little ones. And when we say little, I'll say uh, Mighty Joe Young-sized um, yeah. that, that's, that's about appropriate size. I mean, there's some that are a little bigger, some that are definitely smaller, well, but yeah, I, the, the one at the end is definitely bigger. The crab. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not much bigger than mighty Joe young. You're not much bigger than mighty Joe young, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so still that's, that's about the size of these, these monsters. And, um, but during the evacuation of, of various cities, some people managed to survive and make it into bunkers. And one of them is our main character. His name is Joel. Uh, he's played uh, he's played by Dylan O'Brien, who people might know from the Maze Runner movies. Um, I'm not sure if anyone would know him from anything else, really. Nobody um, watched those either. No, those were successful. Yeah. I mean, for, for the, the level they were aiming for. And he's also in Deepwater Horizon, 
I, I remember him in that. He doesn't that doesn't have like a very big role in it. Um, but anyways, Joel has been living underground in this colony with uh, a whole bunch of other people for about seven years, and everyone except for him is found a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband along the way, and they all. Um, he's he's lonely. Joel Joel is lonely, and he's also. On top of that, a bit of a coward. He's notorious for freezing in dangerous situations. Um, at one point, a giant ant breaches the colony and it kills someone. Joel tries to fight it and he freezes. Uh, and as its head gets cop- chopped off in front of him, he realizes he doesn't want to die alone anymore. He he's a fr- And he's afraid of being scared of things. So he sets out to reunite with his girlfriend whom he got separated from during the evacuation. She lives like 80 miles away. It's an 80 mile trip that, you know, no one has ever made because it's dangerous to go outside. Uh, but Joel's colony and it are, they've become his family and they don't want to stand in the way of him potentially being happy. They're pretty sure he's going to die, but they send him out with, you know, a, crossbow and a little bit of provisions and they say you know good luck um and joel sets out into this world that is dominated by monsters and that's i mean that's the main premise along the way he comes across a stray dog who he names boy or who is named boy um and they become traveling companions for a bit he also comes then across um a couple of people who are named something for sure, but um, it's, it's Michael Rooker and a young girl and they've been out living outside in, on the surface in the elements and they kind of take him under their wing and teach him survival skills, uh, demonstrating how you can tell which monsters are hostile and which ones are not. Um, and they say, you know, come with us. You, you, you know, you've kind of earned your keep and everything. Come, come, stay with us. But he insists he has to go find his girl. And, um, you know, ultimately he gets to her colony, and she's excited because there's they've made contact with another group of people uh, who are planning to save them on this giant boat that he has. And if you think that sounds too good to be true, you might be right. And that's that's kind of how the movie just sort of plays itself out. It's uh, it's basically just, you know, if you want to get uh, cynical and and summarize it, it's it's zombie land, but with monsters. Yeah, I think I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say. I, I don't think it has to be I don't even think that has to be a cynical comparison, though. I think that's like. I haven't, I haven't really heard Duffield talk about this one too much, but I, I'd be shocked if he wouldn't admit to there being a heavy Zombieland influence on this. Um, but I think it's like it's got this, it's got the Zombieland vibe and general premise, and then does just enough different to to be okay. I mean, look, we're talking about genre stuff where so many movies are clearly influenced by others that I don't think that has to be too cynical and and mean spirited of a comparison. You know, I'm not a big <laughs> Zombieland uh, fan either. We know, what? bird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, you hate fun. We get it. <laughs> um, and that hatred of fun carries over into this. But <laughs> I'll say, for my part, I mean, 
listen, this movie was released upon us in what, like, was it, uh, it says September, October. October. No, it feels like two years ago. But, like, it feels like a million years (laughs) prior to that. (laughs) It does. Um, still, I feel feel like this movie came out upon us in, in some fairly dark days, right? Uh, things things were not looking great. Not not that things are looking particularly amazing <laughs> these days, but it came upon us and me especially when when just like ugh, everything sucked. And it's this like it's this injection and infusion of positivity um, and fun hates. and and lightheartedness. While still having like an emotional hook and an emotional anchor to it, I don't. It like to me tonal tonally, it doesn't seem as much like Zombieland because Zombieland is uh, a little bit more mean spirited, I think. And and I like Zombieland a lot, so I'm not even saying that that's as a bad thing. I just think Zombieland has a little bit more of a of a of a bite to it. But does it? Um, that movie is so toothless to me. Oh God! Shut up, bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Remember, we learned talking about this movie that Bird's not happy unless the movie has the like all the characters being like murdered or family dying <laughs> and like in, you know like in brutal ways in front you know so. Yeah, but he's not. Well, which this movie even has? And he's not to spoil another movie, but he's not even satisfied when that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyways. This was just like this. This to me was kind of like the monster version of what Bill and Ted Face the Music was. It was just this at a time when everything was so shitty. This came out and it was just this this like beacon of like positivity and hopefulness and fun and you know uh, yes, its ultimate message at the end is maybe a little bit problematic in in our pandemic situation, Um, but uh, I think that's just you know a whoops right because this movie was made and conceived well before that but um no it just it it hit all the right notes for me and even the part that that knocked the movie at least a half star maybe a whole star down for trev i loved i thought it was funny and fun and heartwarming and just across the board i just had a great time with this and the 109 minutes just blitzed past me um, but while also, if we recall from our episode that we did on Batman Ninja a while back, or however long back at this point. It's like um, an hour ago. <laughs> well, I meant for the <laughs> listeners, God. Um, I think this has those pauses and it has those quiet moments of atmosphere and introspection that allow the the highs and the more action beats to kind of hit more. Um, and, and I, I just, I was completely taken with it. I loved it from start to finish, especially I'll say, I loved it from start right at the start. You get a nice, cool, practical or mostly practical monster. And from that point on, I was like, all right, they're going to do as much as they can with that portion of it. And, and, Dylan O'Brien gives an excellent performance, and I was just totally taken with it. I like how Tom's gushing over this movie, and Bird keeps trying to like derail him and drag him down and make him <laughs> take him to the abyss. 
Um, I, I really had a, a fun time with this movie. I, I watched it with my wife and um, it, it's just, it's really, really charming. Of course, as Michael Rooker, who's a national treasure, he's a lot of fun in it, but like the humor, the relationship building, um, the journey from, you know, point A to point B when they're, when they're going between the, the two different sites and then the monsters, I mean, they're just, they're just fun. And sometimes like that's, that's all I need from a movie. And this, this delivered that. And so I, I thought it was incredibly charming and just sort of wistful. And like, I echo something that's really important here. And that's like, this came at a time in the pandemic when like stuff wasn't going too well. We had a lot, a lot going on in the world. And so it was very uplifting in that way. It's also the best Tremors movie that has come out like since the original. Oh, 100%. 100%. Maybe since Tremors 2. Okay, well still in, in, in like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll parrot that before the villain of our piece comes in and and tries to ruin everything. But um th- this movie is is real fun. I think uh Matt said the word charming and that's and that's dead on. And I think the nice thing with this film is that what I liked about it is it does something which I think the genre really needed at this part at this point. And I'm going to say this, I'm mostly talking about American giant monster movies now, because I think what I'm about to say, Japan was already doing a little bit better, but for the giant monster genre to survive or exist, it needs to have a wide variety within it. And I think the tendency now is for every giant monster movie to be in that like, monsters vein right of like oh it's got to be super serious if it's a post-apocalyptic kind of monster movie we need this to be grim and dark and it needs to be you know this like hard-hitting expose about human nature it's like no no why can't we have kind of ya tinged charming fun movies that are more about putting a smile on your face for you know an hour and 45 minutes or so and that's that's what this is ultimately aiming for most of the time and i agree that dylan o'brien's performance is just is just super charming i i i really like dylan o'brien i i only saw the first maze runner movie i never bothered the second two but i remember just thinking wow this guy has kind of like movie star charm and chops and, and he definitely brings it here um the monster designs are great and Almost all of it is in the daylight. Look at that. You can do it, Hollywood. You can actually have CGI monsters in the day and have them look awesome. You don't have to hide them behind rain and darkness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, Tom alluded to there's a particular sequence I don't like, and there's some other stuff where, you know, to me it's not a perfect movie. I didn't love it as much as Tom did. But ultimately, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, again, yeah, that same thing, too, in, in 2020, movies like this and Bill and Ted three, anything that could just make you laugh and smile for, you know, a little under two hours, uh, it was definitely welcome. Let's hear it. Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First of all, um, hold on. I'm going to sneeze. Wait, I think I got it. Riveting podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I think I'm good. That was the small bit of what is left of his soul trying to escape his body. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, I find this to be a passable movie in that it's not boring. You know, it's competently enough crafted, I suppose. Uh, So, uh, and I usually wouldn't do this, but I, I come down around a three on this movie. Now... That's, you know, average. It's 
it's fine. But if you're asking, well, where are those other two stars? Where where did they go? It is because of all the things in this that actively bothered me. Um, so I'm 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 I didn't hate it or anything, but it's just listen, listen, people. So you got this main character who, first of all, has a really bad narration. Oh, this movie is like the definition of like over-explaining your exposition and just constantly just telling people what they're seeing on the screen. I don't like that at all. I I feel like he, you know, he he's this cowardly guy and he's out in this this world full of monsters it's very dangerous and it seems like every monster he 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 gets in contact with he's able to outrun you know he might trip and fall or something and but you know he outruns it every time with no scratch his 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 dog outruns everything I mean, he, it's like there's no danger to this world, and so that Bert that, is actively trying to kill the dog. So, and that, <laughs> so that just kind of you know, definitely keeps me plugged out of it because it's like I I'm not feeling that there's much tension here because oh there's another monster he's just gonna run away just in time before it can eat him or whatever and it's. It, And so things like that. This is a character who almost dies because the dog, the dog saves him at the last second. Also, almost dies until Michael Rooker saves him at the last second. Yeah, everything. Well, yeah, everything's also almost dies until Michael Rooker teaches him how to put his scent on something else. Almost also dies from being poisoned. Almost also dies. Isn't it? Isn't from- it convenient that this guy is constantly being out, getting out of trouble at the last second without any? And you're saying that there's no danger. This guy. This guy literally gets poisoned and uses skills that he learned earlier in the movie to save his life. And all, like, but, but he does. But, no all, but the, he does all. Of, all these things are resolved in thirty seconds. It's like it's like Rise of Skywalker making you think Chewbacca's dead, and then five seconds later, it's like, oh, he's fine. Like, I, but for the but, but for the majority of this movie, he is our central character and the only character we're with. So, like, what? Like, I know we were kind of goofing about this in an earlier discussion, but to establish those stakes, what do you want to happen to this guy? Do you want him to get his arm torn well, off? Well, what, what's, what's, more, what's more <laughs> interesting? <laughs> what's more interesting? John McClane actually getting hurt and like limping through Die Hard or John McClane in Die Hard 5 where he just runs away from explosions and, and, well, you're, and talking about, you're talking about an R-rated graphic action film versus what Love and Monsters is you're coming at this like from a perspective of like not trying to meet the movie to, I mean because you say there's no stakes and there's no danger but the danger of this world and stakes have already been established when the movie starts these monsters have wiped out 95% of the population he watched his family die in front of him like the stakes are there. Like to say, there's no danger just because then the hero of the film we watch him get away with stuff. And but as and as Tom said, it's usually because of his skills, and or I mean, yes, sometimes it's luck. But that's just like the the, the hook and gimmick of the but movie. But even that, his skills we get in what's basically a montage. Like, and and how do you want a how do you want a hundred minute movie to establish this? 
a hundred minutes is a long time. I mean, you want to spend you want to spend forty five minutes watching this guy learn how to build a fire. <laughs> Well, I mean, it would it, it, for a movie that asks us to follow one guy who's not very interesting for a hundred minutes. When you have, I disagree. By the way, listeners, you heard three people talk about how good this main character is, and then Bird. You in the first <laughs> act, he meets Michael Rooker and the and the little girl, and they're they're in this movie for ten fifteen minutes at most. Why are we not? Actually, having him like reconnect with with outsiders, why? Like, why are we not spending more time with them? Instead, it's just oh, here's a montage of Michael Rooker just showing him how to do things, and oh, they're gone, and now we're just going to follow him for the rest of the movie, and it's just going to be a set piece after set piece, chase after chase, and it's all going to be very repetitive, and he's never going to get hurt, and it's every and everything's going to be fine if he's in too much trouble. It's constant growth, you, sh- you, you crappy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, but... but uh, you're, you're, so you're, you're, some of the things you're talking about, like, oh, like, why does Michael Rooker show up? Why does, why does he constantly get lucky? Like, that's the, that's the premise... You're talking. This is the premise of the movie. This isn't like a flaw in the movie. This is this is. And now, if you don't like it, that's fine. But the premise of the movie is the reason they were able the these these monsters were able to wipe out humanity was essentially surprise and also the giant ones. Everyone was focused on the giant ones while the little ones were picking things off, and the giant ones also happened to destroy all the major cities. But they also surprised people, and nobody knew it was coming. Michael Rooker himself says all you need in order to survive in this world, the same as anyone has ever been able to survive before, is a little bit of knowledge and to get lucky once or twice. And that's exactly what happens to our main character in this movie. So He gets so, lucky once or twice, the dog saves him, then Michael Rooker saves him, and then throughout the rest of the movie, every time that he comes across a situation that's that that's dangerous in some way he uses his knowledge or skills or something he's learned before to continue surviving so why why do we need michael rooker to tell us that why does he need michael rooker to tell him that i mean like he's the only starts off as a coward but he's the only person in his his commune that doesn't go anywhere everyone else goes out all the time for supply (laughs) runs he tries they don't want him to because he's a risk to the group that's pretty well established early on but but what you're telling me is that it's not that risky out there what? <laughs> what everyone else thinks it is. That's the th- like, but why, right? how come the people that are out there all the time think it's super dangerous when it's not? That because ma- they don't have the knowledge that, that Michael Rooker has from having they, they go out for like They go out for like half-hour food runs. Michael Rooker is out living in the world. Also, when you talk about there being no stakes, one of the characters... I mean, we don't we don't ever get to know this character, but a character dies in like the opening sequence. That's what that's what spurns Joel off on his journey is someone dies and he's like, oh, my God, what if what if Amy's dead and I never get to see her again? Or like, I would rather not die alone. Like he he sees one of his family essentially because that's what he considers these people that he lives with there's new family he sees one of them die so there's some stakes right there so people can die in this world it's a dangerous world it doesn't seem like it 
because all you all you got to do is get lucky a couple times and you're fine. You're you're there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> but that's true of real like life. That's true of like to get maimed. Yes, I mean that's true in a that's like true in a war film. That's true in a real life war. Like that's that's shit that happens. Well, yeah, in war films we actually see like you know people bond with other people and people lose people and we 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 see like you know we we get examples of why it's dangerous. This this world you're you're telling me that this world's super dangerous, but then you're telling me it's not. And if you're lucky enough, you'll. You shouldn't be scared because you could get lucky and be fine. Sounds like something a COVID denier would say. <laughs> My brain. I'm going to have a stroke. I did, I did mention that that is a somewhat mildly you know, problematic <laughs> ultimate end message. Although I think it's kind of coincidental uh, more than anything else. This movie kind of ultimately coming down on like, it's not that scary out in the outside world if we just all left our homes and you're like, <laughs> yeah, that that seemed more happenstance than like anything else. Yeah, like, I mean, I thought this it was world... more encouraging people to take risk versus yes, which is not like, and that's if you read the monsters as a stand-in for COVID, which by this point, like, we didn't know COVID was a thing. So yeah, in this world, they got lucky, and the monsters basically wiped out or like humanity before COVID happened. Like I mean, I mean the, the the emotional and thematic track this movie is on here is not is not that uncommon. Like I mean, that's the thing is like the storyline of like you should be more willing to take risks in your life and you should put yourself out there. Like that's a well trod like you know storyline, especially for movies like of this kind of age level, right? Which this is this is essentially definitely going for like a YA vibe. Oh, yeah. um, so I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, I I know that's. I think that that's. We all knew Bird would hate it, kind of going in, simply because anything that's about like younger characters acting like young people, he tends to hate because he's like a seventy-five-year-old man at heart. Um, <laughs> Bird, Bird, take the take the love and out of this title, and and it's just monsters, right? And at Gareth Edwards, monsters. They travel through all of Mexico. In a in a terrain that we are told is very dangerous, yeah. and yet if you act correctly, it's actually kind of not that dangerous. Yeah, they make it. This is like the same kind of universe as that. Like, it's very dangerous if you're reckless and stupid and don't know what you're doing. But if you know what you're doing, it's still dangerous, but it's navigable and manageable and you can survive. The bird or st- or sticking with that director, one of your favorite characters, Bird Ford from Godzilla. Ford, this this, this guy is Look Ford. This, <laughs> this this guy is is part Ford and part Shia LaBeouf in Transformers, and he's all of the worst things about both of those. No, no, it's true. It's Ford the is truth. the most dull character ever. He's not dull. This, character's, this character is not dull and not spastic. All he is does like, is react to things. That's Ford. Monsters chasing you. Of course you're going to react. <laughs> and 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 like Ford, instead of giving him any 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 companions that last with him throughout his journey, we just see him running from things and making it just in the in the nick of time. And it's it's. It's, it's a, not it, true that he only reacts to things. Like the the track of this movie is that he's the one who makes the decision to leave that camp and like go to the other camp. It's, 
Like the movie starts with him making a decision that is not reactive. To say he this only guy reacts bonds to with the robot in a meaningful way, Bird. Is the robot to... stupid and pointless? <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to the robot, but to say he only reacts that's like saying that Mad Max only reacts in Fury Road, which is not true, right? But I mean, for most of the movie, he's reacting to what's happening to him, but he makes decisions that guide the narrative, which is true of Joel in this. But my point is. The, we, Michael Rooker is in this for longer than fifteen minutes. I guarantee that. I, I mean, I do. I do agree. Rooker's not in it enough. I do think though those characters could have hung around a little longer. I, I'll agree. With and that, I, well, I don't understand why they just, didn't, and I don't understand why why you couldn't explore more of both of those characters. Like, I think whatever. There's Michael, actually part of me that wonders. There's actually a part of me that wonders if they are taken out a little. Not taken out, but it's part of me that wonders if they are not in it as much because they're really conscious of. If those two characters stick around, then it really starts to look even more like Zombieland. And I think, I wonder if that's like a part of it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the, either way, the Zombieland... Because let's face it, Rooker is definitely giving off uh, Woody Harrelson and Zombieland vibes 100%. here. Oh, yeah. Well, well yeah. I, this movie was never going to avoid Zombieland comparisons, so just screw it. Like, keep them around. Like, I, I, th- I, find, I found his character and the little girl, I found them more interesting than, than Joel. Like, why, why not keep those right, characters for, but, but for you to get what you wanted they would have had to stick around for like 20 more minutes and then been brutally murdered to show that <laughs> there's real stakes in the world. well you know i don't know you could See, have you could i don't find them more interesting they like okay you might find them more interesting in in their their screen presence or something but like i don't find them more interesting as characters they are already fully realized fully fleshed out kind of characters who are like well-rounded people because they clearly love each other they clearly have a bond with one another. They're not, like, nasty. They're not, like, you know, mean to him. They're willing to take him under their wing. They're they're tough, for sure, but they're not, like, they're not mean. Well, they're not they're, marauders. They only feel fully realized because the movie doesn't, it just tells you everything about them and let it, instead of letting... That is bullshit, it, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't tell you all of these, like, it doesn't tell you that they've each really lost someone how are they, they fully realized then they're because... not <laughs> they are not fully realized just because they they know how to survive does not make them fully realized because they clearly have a heart and they and they love each other and you could tell that they're a family they're they're a Bird bond with one that. another so, so people people that love each other and have a heart they they can't have character arcs they 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 can they just need to be well, around for saying, 10 minutes of, of to be they're plot devices they're not characters and and that's a problem they should be characters there should be they're more not of them interesting they don't they don't they're not they interesting need... because the movie makes that happen and it doesn't need to that's my that's what i'm saying there needs there should be more of them there's no reason all they 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 come in and act as a plot device and leave and that that that's a way to that's a waste of two good actors and a waste of but they come in as they come in as these people who don't give a shit about this guy and whether he lives or dies and sure tag along with us for now because whatever but then they end up do they they do end up caring about him. So they they do have a little bit of growth to them, and they do bond with him, and they do end up caring about him because they end up listening to his recording at the end and caring about him. But in terms of like you say that they're so much more interesting than he is. This is a character who goes from being like a little scared dude in a bunker to a guy who's 
I I hate to overstate it this this badly, but like the savior of the world to an extent, where he's he's the the historian of the new world, and he has created this this um, atlas or this 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 encyclopedia of monsters and how to survive in this in this new this new world. He goes through an insane amount of growth. Yeah, that's actually. I don't, but I don't. uh, Again, again, you're just telling me what the movie's doing, which is a problem. Like, why can't these two characters, like, you have this this old older dude and a little girl who are not related? I mean, who have clearly spent a lot of time together. There's no reason why we can't learn more about them or learn to care about them. There's not. There's no reason for that. There's no reason why we have so many, so much screen time of this guy just running from things when we could be using it to tell stories about these other people as well. There's no, like, there's, there's no reason that these characters needed to be wasted plot devices. But if you stick, but if they stick around longer, you you run into the fear of running of having another problem, which I think would, uh, just, I don't, would probably annoy you just as much in that. The thing about getting them away from him after a short time, thematically, is again, this as Tom was just saying, this is a journey about watching this character, like what this character goes through and becomes. And if he has this like survivalist who just can't be killed and is like mastered this world with him for the entire movie, so that kill removes him. Da- that removes danger around him. So kill him and establish some real danger. That's what I'm His saying. Family died in front of him. So there, like. there's there you have it. That's what Bird is asking for in this. This this lighthearted, fun, hopeful, optimistic movie that's rated PG thirteen for Michael Rooker to get his legs ripped off (laughs) and his blood siphoned out, and and then is and then the little girl to have her head chopped off. (laughs) Well, well, okay. Well, Trev, why why do you feel like they needed more screen time? Well, simply because I mean, I, like I said, I, I enjoy the characters. They like they they have a presence. Like when when Tom says they're fully realized, I agree. I think they show up, and you feel like I think what he means is these are two characters who, when we meet them, their arc is kind of done. We don't need to see these two characters grow anymore. They have become what you need to be in this world, and so their purpose. And you can you can call it a plot device. You can call them like a shorthand. I don't know why you're like like we're acting like that's not something that happens all the time in movies. But they're they're there to represent like what Joel needs to become, and they are the they are like the the spark that sets that for him, and seeing like oh okay I can become to that, and by the end we see him essentially be like on his on a path, or actually almost like he's already there, of being what Michael Rooker is and like represents. Could we spend more time with them so we get more Michael Rooker in the movie? Sure, but I also think like thematically it's not an issue that they take off when they do, and I certainly am not bothered by the fact that there's a montage in this movie. I don't know why you're suddenly like fuck montages or something like I, <laughs> I just i feel like for someone as as much of a dweeb as this guy he learns how to do this stuff really really easily and really really quickly and i i i don't like that and i, I instead of just he's not but he's not good at it he's he's not he is. He gets very. He gets good at it very quick. I mean. I mean, you're just. But you're talking about like traditional movie, like tr- like storytelling and cliche here. Like, what do you you want? Like, Love and Monsters, the twelve hour series, so we can see <laughs> every bit of his journey. Or do you just want to accept that this movie does what tons of movies do and show us a story in an hour and forty five well, minutes? Well, like, again, this, this I, that- I, I he he he. Uh, we have a montage, and he knows how to do things. We we. I would have liked to see more of him needing to rely on his wits or 
instead of, oh, that's a thing they showed in a montage, so he's going to do it now kind of thing. I, 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 like, I, I, that's, that's why it feels so, like, just gutless to me. I want to ask two questions because we haven't we haven't talked about the title like it's love and monsters. So how do you guys feel about the actual love sub subplot? Because we haven't touched that really at all yet. I have mixed feelings, but I'll let the rest of you guys go first. Yeah, I also. I mean, that's. I I kind of wish it had the the balls to just uh, have him kind of. Uh, I guess spoilers, right? I yeah. mean, at this, we've already spoiled this, some stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish I wish it had the balls to just have him like leave her, basically, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, yep. it, it it ends with with him being like, "Oh my god, I came all this way for nothing," and then, you know, he saves the day, and she's like, "Oh, now I like him." It's it's that it's that kind of like Scott Pilgrimy kind of thing where you're like, "Well, Scott should have ended up with knives because Ramona." is kind of shitty scott pilgrim thematically has aged like milk <laughs> and i and i say that as someone that likes that movie quite a bit you know i own it and but yeah there's it gets icky yeah well, so they, went with, they went with the wrong ending on it right like they're the, the blu-ray has like the alternate ending where he's with knives and it's like oh that's what they should have gone with yeah and that i think i think that's a similar situation here right like yeah. He professes his love for her. She turns him down. I think for for me and for for what I think should be him, that should be sort of the completion of his arc, right? Is like his realization that the 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 colony is his family now and that this part of his life, the the pre-apocalypse part of his life is over. And then it has to kind of tack on the more uh, and I don't know where this like I, I don't know if this is so, like a s- decision that Duffield made or this was something maybe that was a little bit thrust on him by like a studio note or something. But the more I don't think he I don't think he like, re- wrote the fine. I think the whatever draft they have, I don't think is is was his script. Yeah. So that that more crowd pleasing ending of like I was like, oh, I actually do like you and let's hook up again once, you know, we're uh, in the mountains or whatever it is, you know, like. That that just it's a little I don't that's like my biggest and maybe even only complaint with the movie. Yeah, I agree. I because I, I really do like when we get when he finally gets to her and we find out that uh, and it, it is and I think though it's played actually really well in the film where it's not like she's like ew I just don't love you anymore. It's that of course he wasn't thinking about this, but you know it's been years and she's lived a life and she fell in love with someone else and and lost that person and she's now kind of defined by the grief of that. I think the movie actually at that point is handling it all really well and like really interesting. And I think that is more thematically interesting to me to say that this idea of oh you built this whole notion in your head of this perfect life you're running to, but that's not how it always works out. And the person that you idealize maybe isn't the person for you. At one time they were, but things change and people grow. And I think you could have done that. I think you could have had them part as just friends. I think you could end this on a strong platonic relationship with them. And to be fair, the movie doesn't go all the way with it. It doesn't say at the end. She's not like, well, I'm taking off now so I can go like suck Joel's D or anything. You know, it's not like, <laughs> it's, it's still a li- left a little bit more ambiguous, but I wish they just didn't even hint at it at all kind of in those final moments. 
Yeah, yeah. and it is just those final moments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have that awkward kiss, and then, the, and then he leaves, and that's that's all there is to it. But I do agree that it takes away from the efficacy of what they had been building to the entire time. So that's that was probably my main complaint about the movie. You know, Bird, you said you had some. Yeah, I I just. I just I I feel like if every every topic that comes up I just feel like I should go last just <laughs> just because I I expect to to get yelled at at some point, um, but I I am I guess more with you guys on this in that uh, you know I, the whole time I I you know people joke about you know the I guess the trope of you know, like you know the guy travels across this dangerous terrain to get with his uh get find his his love you know i mean that's actually something that i kind of like in about cloverfield which a lot of people don't like about cloverfield but um yeah i mean like for the first like half of it i was thinking like just because the movie was just seemed to be taking the safe route with every little thing I was like, well, they're going to make them get together again at the end. That's going to be really bad. And I was like, yeah, they're going to get together at the end and then I'm going to come into the chat and say she shouldn't she the 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 they shouldn't get back together and everyone's going to say I'm a miserable old man. So, we're we're actually kind of on the same page with this and that yes, I I like that, you know, it it does really lay into that, you know, 7 years is a long time. And this guy's life has been exactly the same, almost, and she's, like, lived another lifetime in that seven years, and uh, and so they aren't going to get together. And I was like, oh, whew, okay, cool. Um, and, uh, but yeah, then, then it kind of, I even like the kind of kiss that they give at the end. It's a kind of, like, almost a farewell to this very last con- connection of both of their old lives, and it's like, this kiss is like a symbolic, in a way, like, goodbye to that. And I, and I even like that touch. Um, you know, it's kind of the, the we'll always have Paris moment for these, these characters. That's, that's a Casablanca reference for anyone. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure our, our listeners love Casablanca, so I don't, I probably didn't have to explain that. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, um, uh, but it, it's it's it, it then it gets into the territory that I'm with you guys in that I, I I don't really like it and my reasoning might be a little bit different even but but yeah once it gets into the like it kind of gets into this she's so impressed by the person he's become now she's kind of like into him again and she's like i'm gonna come find you and and that's where i i kind of got it i was like oh come on why movie why'd you do that because um like you guys said that that would have been a really good opportunity for joel to be like you know uh you you know how to find me if you need anything but you know uh we had a good time together, or something, I don't know, say something like that, just to kind of give him a little bit more of a authority on, like, him coming to the realization that they're very different people now, and that, yeah, this is the way things have to go. Instead, he's just like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll see you around, do and then And then, for her, I, I just feel like, you know, in the flashback scenes, she's very much the kind of giddy teenage girl, and then, like, we, we come back to her, and she's like this 
kind of hardened survival character and to kind of have her be like, Oh, I like him again. And I want to go find him. It, it just like, it just, it just did. It felt wrong to put that character in that position. And I, I, I just kind of feel like even, even if the, even if the intent was okay, she wants to find his community and they'll like combine into and make a town or something it just it just it it really leaves a sour taste for me because it's like you know we we we've caught up with this character and and we see the person she is now and it just didn't it doesn't feel like that's the person she should be it, it in that situation if if i'm making sense and and it's like you know she's the only real female character with any real presence so to so to kind of tie her back into this I'm going to go find the guy cuz I I like how heroic he's become it it just I it did that just it just really and Yeah I, there's and, a, no I know what you're saying there's a slightly different way to play that final shot of her or that final moment where those final few moments with her where I think you can play it to where she's just taking her group and saying, okay, well he was right. Let's go meet up with them because that's the better thing to do for our survival. You don't have to have the little bit that makes it seem like I'm going to get Joel back. Yeah. That's the, that's the bridge too far. Yeah, And it kind of just felt like a betrayal of what the movie was telling us. It was asking us to believe that this, this person has become, and, and I, and I was kind of coming back around to the movie in the third act. I, I, and then to kind of have that be like the last note really kind of like ejected me <laughs> again. And, and yeah, so I, I don't know. It's for me, this is more of a movie of ups and downs. You know, I mean, there, there's, I have problems with some of the storytelling, some of the character stuff, but overall, like I said, it's still an entertaining movie. I, I wasn't bored by it. Um, Should we talk about the robots and set the thing Tom and I disagree with them? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, now, now, I mean, we've talked about my my hot takes, which apparently just means I'm a miserable person, and then and then the ending, I, I do think now it's time to bring up the next big controversy, which is the robot, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I, I think I, I, I probably fall between Trev, who hates it, and Tom, who likes it. My thing with the robot is that, like, there's nothing that robot does that warrants its existence <laughs> in, the, in this movie. <laughs> That's kind of my thing too, but I, I don't. But I can like phrase it a little differently. There's this there's this phrase in like comedy and in particular like improv comedy called "hat on a hat." Um, where you just like you you do something you you add something to something that's unnecessary, and the robot feels that way to me in this film. In that we in that it's like I, I made this joke, but I, it's not too far from a joke. Where I said what the robot does, you could essentially do with like him finding like an Alexa. And I think it's an odd thing in the script. It, it to me, it just I, I said and I stand by this, not having read the script, but I wouldn't be surprised if this robot was in the script more at some point. And got whittled down because it feels like a le- a weird holdover or a leftover piece from a larger subplot or bigger thing about how they're telling like it's the only thing in this movie that suggests a much different world than our world right now before this apocalypse happened. There's nothing like this. If you remove the robot, it could just be like this happened tomorrow. But then suddenly, like you're introducing this idea that oh, we also had just created basically like robots. Like I don't know, I was about to say slaves. That's not the right word, but like close to like AI beings that are like these like assistants <laughs> for everyone. And I'm like, 
what? Why is that like this bizarre detail plopped into this film that offers nothing but this one sequence that could be done with a laptop or with an Alexa? It doesn't need to be a robot. So it just seemed like a bizarre. I didn't. I wouldn't. I say I hated it. It was just. I. I thought it was like kind of egregiously bad, and like it just felt like it was. It was unnecessary. I, it's, I it's, it's like, like in, if in Zombieland. Instead of meeting up with Bill Murray, they met like R two D two. <laughs> or something it is kind of yeah it's kind of like that where you're like suddenly like hey also the, hey also this thing exists in the world and you're like oh okay well does that mean anything more besides this one scene no oh okay and, like, and, and, let someone well, let someone and, who's not miserable set the stage well, well it's it's also a scene that it, it is just it's exposition and like that can be delivered in so many ways besides a a robot <laughs> like the, okay. there's nothing about that scene that necessitates it being that robot like nothing necessitates anything that could why was it why couldn't that have just been another character like another person why is it a robot okay for a lot of reasons so let's 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 back the train up (laughs) for a second okay (laughs) for starters we keep saying robot we should we should emphasize or i'll emphasize because i think it's actually really well set up early in the movie he is hanging out with a body of one of these robots. Tells us over the narration that, like, yeah, right before this happened, like, right before the world was going to end, like, we invented these robots, which, like, were supposed to be kind of the next big thing. That's and for dumb me, that's too. enough, right? What? That's stupid, too. Shut up. <laughs> for, for me, that's enough. It says the next big thing. And, like... Trev and Bird are of this opinion that, like, oh, if we invent robots and there's robots that are walking around, they must be these amazing things. Whereas, like, I don't know, I've I've got a, a couple of Alexas, and let me tell you, they're pretty cool for playing some music and asking to play some trivia games. But like, they don't fucking turn your lights on. They don't uh, they don't lock your house for you. They don't start your coffee maker. They don't. You like, can get a, you really, can't get you can get things that do that. It's not really an in-home personal assistant so much. (laughs) Have you ever seen Get Out? Their Alexa does all that stuff. Or not Get Out, uh, Us, the other ones. that do that and things like that. But there's a whole bunch of issues with them, right? And they they basically are cool little gadgets that, like, do fun, nifty little things. And that, like, if we create robots, they're going to be cool little gadgets that do fun, goofy things. And so right in the beginning of the movie, he establishes, like, I've never seen a working one of these Mavis units ever. And and I've never even met anyone who has. They're, they, were, they were pretty brand new. They just came on the market. So there I am watching this thinking, like, oh, like, immediately. I was like, oh, it'd be cool if we got to see one of those. Like, that'd be a cool twist. Boom. We get to see one of those. Uh, at a certain point, after Joe hits his lowest moment in terms of he has just left Michael Rooker, he's made that decision. But then also, um, the dog who's been traveling with him has this thing where the dog really, really is into this dress that must have been from its previous owner. Um, and it almost gets Joel and the dog killed going after this dress. And Joel yells at the dog, and the dog runs away. Um,. So he he uh, he comes across this this Mavis unit and it's it's another injection of fun and and especially funny that the movie kind of hasn't had at this point. 
the the unit is like you guys keep saying it doesn't do anything that like a human couldn't do but i would argue that you'd have to have like a human on the on the autism spectrum in order to deliver the 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 pan the like the what do they call it like the pan dead or the whatever the the just the flat pan dialogue that this thing does that's like so uh, just deadpan. There's the word I was looking for. The the deadpan humor dialogue, where like, <clears throat> it's like Joel. If you get to your girlfriend, you will, you know, she'll say she loves you, and you'll be swept up in each other's arms. Another possibility is that you die horribly along the way. Like you would need someone who's got os- who's got Aspergers or I something. Mean, you can- I mean, I got it. I got I got this for you. Just have it be Stephen Wright. There you go. Stephen Wright. <laughs> <laughs> so so you get you get that kind of like injection of like some comedy and stuff from it and then also he says and now i'll agree with you like the the emotional note of this robot you could get with a laptop or a photo album or something of he says like i can't even remember what my mother looked like um and she the the mavis unit says joel what's your full name and where are you from and he tells her his full name and where he's from and she says watch i can do something for you and she goes into her memory files or whatever and pulls up some pictures of his mom and he gets to give his mom the goodbye that he never got to give her because she was stepped on as they were fleeing from a giant monster Yes, could could you do that with a laptop? Sure, we've seen that done with laptops before. Okay, but here here's the thing. Let me make, I'll I'll make this sequence better, and I'll get to, and this gets to what I was saying about how I just think it's weird because it seems like abrupt and out of place. Because you were just saying that thing about how you're like, oh, I thought it was an interesting detail because it's this idea that we created these robots and like they're they're not helpful. They're just like kind of unnecessary equipment. But I'm and then I'm listening to you thinking like, well, why? But what's what does that add to the movie? What purpose does that have to give that little detail? It's not it's not like social commentary. You're not making fun of anything real or, uh, to me. So instead of having that one at the beginning of the film already like dead and just like what like pinned up against the wall, why not have the film start and have them have that robot actually active down there? But it's like not connected to the internet. It's just active to be like a helper for all of them down there. And it's like really annoying. And like Joel finds it to just be like a super annoying thing. Like everybody down there kind of hates it, but they just put up with it. And we know that his attitude of these robots is, boy, they're a nuisance. These things are such a nuisance. And then halfway through the film, he finds this one. And at first, he's like, oh, God, another one of these things. And then it shows him pictures of his mom. And then it talks to him at just the moment he needs it. And it's like, that's that's what I mean. If you just had this thing in at least one other scene, I would feel like it's justified. But having it just in this one sequence, I'm just like, what are you doing? Why is this thing here? See, I I just... I. I mean, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but I also think, like, I think it's fun. I think it's a cool twist. I think it's funny. And I I, uh, I don't know. I, I just – it pays off something from earlier in the movie. Like, he says, I've never seen one running before, and it, he sees it. It, it. It's another one of those, like, sparks of optimism and hope in this movie, which the whole message of the movie is about hope and optimism. And, and if you take risks, you will be rewarded. This is another reward. This is an unexpected surprise in this world that, that exists out there is like, maybe there's more of these units out there than that are all functioning. And like, you can now get some, like some of these Mavis units and maybe they are more useful because this one doesn't have legs. That's the other thing. Um, 
yes, there's like some convenientness to it, right? Of like, it's like, oh, I was saving my battery for someone to come along. Like, yeah, okay. There's there's definitely some parts about it that are a little overly convenient or whatever. But like, I I just think it's a it's a way to do a thing we've seen done a million times, right? I mean, friggin' uh, I mean, everything in this movie we've seen a million times. It's a way to do something that's been done a bunch of times before that is a twist on that thing that's been done a bunch of times before. And, like, we talk about, like, you're you're sitting there saying, oh, everything in this movie we've seen before. Like, one of your favorite movies of the last ten years is Pacific Rim. Everything in that movie is something you've seen before, too. But it's given a twist, and it's given a tweak, and it's given something that you don't see all the time. You can do everything more... that you're saying without a, a, an, a, an AI robot doing it. That's all I'm saying. You could, but why Why not do an AI robot it's if less, you can Because it's less dumb if you don't use the AI robot. I'm sort of between everybody here because I, I totally get Bird and especially Trev's breakdown of how you could do it better. But that moment where the robot does show him and allows him to say goodbye to his mom is actually pretty touching. And and I think that's why I appreciated that it was kept in the movie. And there's actually an interview with um, the producer, with Sean Levy. And he basically says, like, throughout the script iterations, this was the one piece that was non-negotiable for him. So it does very much sound like what you said, Trev, where there was probably a bigger piece to play with mm-hmm. the robot. And it, this is a holdover from that. And it was kind of a studio decision to say, no, we're going to keep this piece in, which is why it's not fleshed out, I think, the way that it could well, be. Well, speaking that of one that, is touching. Speaking of that, though, to kind of piggyback on all this, I do wonder if maybe there was more involvement with these, even in stuff that was shot. Because looking at like the credits page, I see that this movie has two editors. And usually what that means is that it went through a somewhat tumultuous post-production phase that is two editors isn't common unless there's some kind of rejiggering in post so i wonder if maybe there was more of that that just got left on the cutting room floor and, and now that i see that though it, it does kind of explain all the narration i i bet at some point there was a, a longer version of this that they felt like needed to be no, condensed I, down. No, I don't. I think I think the narration is actually there because again, Zombieland had narration. Oh well, yeah, that's like, another possibility. But but you're telling me like to like because Matt was just saying how that is an emotional moment, and I, and I do agree with that. But again, going back to our example, you're telling me what if think of a version where he shows up this place and Stephen Wright is there. And Stephen Wright does everything the robot does. And then Stephen Wright goes, do you want to say goodbye to your mom? And Stephen Wright comes out wearing a wig and a dress. And he <laughs> pretends Stephen Wright is mom. And you do the same thing. Come on, that's a better version. <laughs> I think you lost me there. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds great to me. Um, Trev, I know that you said you had some problems with the third act. Does that go beyond the stuff with uh the the girlfriend or is there was there something else in there that you wanted to talk about oh that was another thing i wasn't i wasn't really taken with the performance of um i'll call him fake army hammer the guy who plays the captain at the well end. this is the non now that now that now that army hammer uh 
is a yeah, cannibal. Is yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy can can fill in where our the void the, yeah. the army hammer shaped void in our lives. This guy can fill in. Yeah, as far as I know, this guy's not a real life monster. So I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I thought his performance was like it was that kind of thing where as soon as she showed, I think the movie like plays its hand a little bit too much. This is falling into the. I'm not as bothered by the movie being full of tropes as Bird is, obviously, but sometimes tropes can have a negative side. And with this, as soon as that character shows up, I, you never you never buy what the movie's telling you about him for a second. I think it's very telegraphed. It's and got I think that, that it's, if it's too good to be true, it is. Yeah, kind of thing. and I think it falls on his performance, too, where it's just like, ah, yeah, yeah, right. I know where this guy's coming from. Um, I mean, ultimately, the crab is, is cool, though, and I like what, I mean, I like where they head with that, but... I just felt like the ending was felt more telegraphed to me than a lot of the other uh, stuff in the film. Uh, he was also the Black Ranger in Power Rangers RPM. Mm, I don't remember that. We watched <laughs> some of that. Yeah, I don't yeah. Watch, certainly. we liked that. We just never, we just yeah, didn't keep yeah, good. keep up with it. Um, I, would, I would agree, though, that like it is. Yeah, there's there's the moment where Joel finally realizes it, and you're like, boy, you should have realized it, like. A while ago. <laughs> yeah, if he realized it so quickly, it's almost it almost makes everyone else seem dumber in a way. You know? Yeah. Um So we're we're a monster movie podcast. I, I do wanna talk about what I think is probably, the, for me anyway, and it, it, I don't know, maybe it is just because I'm a monster guy, the, the the stronger aspect of it, which is is the monsters. Um, and I don't know, we can talk about maybe if we have any favorite creatures or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the, the, the crab at the end, I think is pretty cool. Um, uh, my favorite, though, is the the snail or the slug thing that Rock comes snail? yeah yeah i love that guy or boulder snail boulder yeah snail. yeah I, that guy is awesome um maybe it's just like because i'm a big I, I don't know for whatever reason giant snails are, are fun um uh and then yeah the worm i don't know the worm is probably the least interesting one but i i will agree like yeah it's a better tremors scene than any Tremors movies given us in a very long time. Um, the centipede is pretty cool. Like all, pretty much all the monsters are pretty rad. I think there's yeah. The, design the, design wise, I actually really like the uh, like the frog thing that's hiding in the pool. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the the monsters are are, are pretty neat and pretty creative. Um, in man, terms of in terms of the monsters themselves, my favorite is probably that first one because it's a lot of practical effects on that that initial the, the bug the ant thing the ant yeah. yeah um and so i just dig that uh but i also in terms of sequences it's a toss-up for me between the 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 tremors sequence which is just we keep saying it's a tremor sequence it really is like it's just a giant worm underground that you know i mean looks like a uh, a parasitic worm you know with like the little tentacles at the end of its mouth and a little anus mouth um, and it just can feel your vibrations under the ground, and there's like some really cool things done with that. Um, well, yeah, all the, all like uh, the only Tremors movie that really like like all the Tremors sequels, I feel like people are running around and jumping and <laughs> doing all kinds yeah. of stuff. <laughs> and the, the 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 graboids aren't really like 
trying to kill him or anything. Oh, the 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 most recent one is horrible with horrible. that. Horrible, like yeah. There's a, there's a moment where there's like there there's there's a graboid right over there, and they're like, let me just walk over and grab my gun. <laughs> but it's it's a tie between that and then the the centipede sequence. I just think like in terms of direction and everything, I think that might be the best one where. You know, everything gets quiet all of a sudden, and then just the way it's framed and filmed with it, kind of like the legs coming out from under the ground and and how that kind of plays out. That that's probably like the best uh, in terms of in terms of the direction and and the the sequence itself. Yeah, centipede's awesome. Uh, really liked the resolution with the crab at the end, just kind of how it, it it's played. But I think the centipede might be my favorite monster design overall um you guys want to hear me say a couple like more positive things um i really like and whenever it was over yeah um (laughs) whenever there are those kaiju movies that are able to kind of um take quiet moments with the monsters which might sound weird but those are all that's always something that is pretty cool. So like the 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 the, the part with the giant jellyfish and 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 things like that and kind of like the you know there's a similar scene in uh in monsters which we we brought up earlier. Um I really like stuff like that and and even even the the one with the snail where it's like this thing's just, you know, it's just it's just vibing in the woods, you know. Um I like stuff like that and we don't we really don't get that often um in in monster movies and so I really like that. Uh uh and uh, Tom, I think that's the scene you were telling me about before I'd seen it and after you'd seen it, right? Do you remember that conversation we had? What scene? <laughs> The 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 I think you were talking about this the jellyfish scene, but oh, you yeah, were talking yeah. about like moments of calm with monsters in them. Yeah, that was definitely like, yeah, that was the scene I was referring to. It's the yeah the sky jellies. Yeah, yeah. We had a there's a similar kind of scene in Skull Island where you know you just see Kong like kind of looking at 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 the sky stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's something that I think. You know, you can, I don't want to say humanize, but you, it, it, it'll show your monster in a different way without having them act like human beings. And, and yeah, it's just one of those, like, finding the beauty in horror type of things, right? Like, I mean, it's a horrible situation, like, the world has ended and everything, but there's still beauty to, to find. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, I... There's also... I, Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I, I want you. I was to say there's also like I really like how lived in a lot of the world feels, and like there's like a lot of like the only one that comes to mind. I'll say so. I think I feel like I've done this just recently on another episode we did, but still the only one that like comes to mind is there's a moment where Joel is walking, and as he's walking, you see like this huge ripple of something move under the water, and then like you never. You never get a payoff or anything on that, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that notion of like, there's stuff just everywhere and all over. Yeah. And you know that, yeah. that like, uh, Tom might be the only one that has might know what I'm talking about because I, I think we brought it up when we did the movie graveyard. There's a, a scene in Gorgo where like there's people like 
holding these like really weird looking fish that like look like no fish you would ever see and it's just like a thing that you see like it's not like i i i i like stuff like that um yeah yeah and there's i guess the, like there's there's other parts of it too like there's like especially when he first sets out there's like constantly like like you see something in the foreground that's like in like behind like from for him it's behind like a van or a truck or something yeah. right where there's like spores growing on the other side of this thing well, or, well or the, the monster that kills his parents i don't i think we just see it, the legs i don't think we see yeah you just see the, the rest foot. of it yeah so there's lots of little cool things like that We'll even beyond that, when you say the thing about it looking lived in, we haven't even mentioned like just the overall production design. We've talked about the, the effects of the monsters, but just the whole way this world looks. I mean, when he whenever he arrives at places and everything, and then like the whole like encampment they've built at the end and the cliff face and everything. It just this is a the the production design of this movie is fantastic. I think like the the initial base he's in and in the grain silo and um, I think that's what it is at least or whatever. But uh. Or bomb shelter. I, don't, I can't remember. I can't remember if it's above ground or below ground. But uh, <laughs> but just like uh, even like uh, like a small detail, like the van that the boy is living in, uh, just everything looks great. And it then, doesn't look cheap. It, for like what the budget is, it, it this movie yeah. like looks way higher than its budget is. Yeah. Um, and also like I mean I I obviously I've been pretty critical, but but just the premise of the movie is cool, and I think. it's stories like these that I would like to see in, like, the Godzilla franchise. Like, why not do a Godzilla movie about, like, this kid who's, you know, trying to find his teenage love and goes on this adventure? Like, why do... uh, Because you would hate it. Well, I I can hate... I'm allowed to hate a Godzilla movie. I mean, I'm just saying, there needs to be... Come on, don't tell me I'm wrong. There needs to be more creativity. Like... Uh, one thing I like about the the Showa Godzilla films is that, like, yeah, you'll have a movie where the main characters are a robber and a guy who's obsessed with boats. Like, it's not the same scientists or military guys all the time reacting to things and and watching them on a screen. Like, there there's way more you can do with. No, yeah, that's, with, I mean, Trev said that earlier, basically, right? It, it, like, and he said, like, especially American monster movies are so like they're they're so the same they're just they're all just gigantic action movies where there's there's maybe some if there's not some MacGuffin, there's still just some like go to a like you have to go to a place to get the thing to go to the next place to get the thing to go to that place to get the thing and like uh the the monsters are just kind of I don't know. They're just kind of there. Well, like, I, I really miss of... those like everyman characters. Like, yeah, you know, in like in in the original uh, Ghidra, you know, you have a reporter and a cop, and their brother and sister. You know, uh, you know, I I miss I miss that. I think I think the Millennium Godzilla movies kind of got back to that with you know Godzilla two thousand and and GMK and and movies like that. But it it still. It, just somewhere along the line the default setting has become military scientists and uh, that the, those are your main characters and they're always around this like super technology you know I, I i miss 
I miss that kind of more down to earth story. And that's something that you see here. It's something that you, you see in, you know, some other, other, other things, but it's kind of like, I mean, when you're 35 movies in like Godzilla, I mean, shake it up, make something with a story like this or make something like, um, you know, that, that gives us just put, puts the Godzilla characters in, in some other environment, even if it is something like this, where it's something that you is, is familiar, like uh, that. That's kind of also like we we recorded an episode earlier about Bat, Bat, Batman Ninja. Like, get get crazy, get nuts. You know, I mean these these like Batman. It's a property that's lasted forever, and it's gonna be there forever. It's gonna be there after we're all dead. And like, I mean, start playing with it a little more. That's that's all I want. Agreed. We even melted your icy heart a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not all bad. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's love and monsters, people. It's uh. Do the, uh it's okay. Round robin. Round robin ratings. What's a, what's a good scale? Uh, how many? <laughs> how many? How many pointless AI robots out of five? I think I think if you approach this movie at its level, uh, which I still think maybe Bird wasn't fully doing. I think if you go in knowing what the like, what this movie is trying to accomplish, and particularly what audience this movie is pitched at. I think it's a real fun time. It's not perfect. There's some story issues. There's some. There's a you know. There's a performance I didn't think much of. One uh, crucial one in the, near the end. But I mean, if you're into just giant monster stuff, there's some amazing monsters in this. The the action scenes are fun. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm I'll keep saying this. I just love that it's it's almost all in the daylight and they really show off the effects, uh, which are really strong. And the movie the the world looks incredible for this budget. I really like Dylan O'Brien in this. I think it's a fun character and a good performance. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with uh, three and a half. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I I echo everything that you just said. And one thing we didn't actually talk about, too, that I liked. I mean, I, I, this is like a Zombieland thing, too. But he has this little notebook that he's carrying around with him. He's jotting. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's drawing all the monsters. And he's, he's basically logging notes and stuff. But I, it's a fun movie. has a lot of heart. I mentioned Charming. It's sort of whimsical it's got some touching emotional moments in it um i think i give it a four in my letterbox i think it's a really strong three and a half bordering on a four i think there's some flaws that that prevent it from being that upper echelon but like for people of this podcast like i think you should you should absolutely go check it out highly recommended let's hear it crabby okay did you go already or (laughs) No, he I'm went, waiting on Tom you. Tom wants to I take this out, man. Positive note. All right. Um, I showed my hand earlier. Um, this is a three, which to me means it's not bad. It's not great. It's a- it's passable. It's average. It's it's an entertaining movie that is maybe worth you know. It's worth a rental. It's worth a rainy day. Um, it's like I said. It's it's not boring. Um, 
monsters are really cool. There's some 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 really really creative moments and ideas. There's some really good scenes. For me, it just was it just didn't all add up into one you know spectacular thing. It was more about just there are there are there is enough good in here to 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 keep you satisfied i think but uh and and still i mean despite my more critical analysis than these guys i it is something that i think our listeners should check out i mean i'm always kind of rooting for these i guess little giant monster movies that kind of come and go and and don't really get noticed much from the fandom and uh and like i said i think the godzilla series could learn a thing or or two from it even um but yeah i mean i i i don't like the main guy i wish you know rooker and he died in the little girl <laughs> uh who who played young gamora by the way so we have two uh uh marvel uh people here um Anyway, I, I wish there was more with them. I think they totally fumbled the ball on Amy uh, at, at the end. Um, uh, the robot is pointless, and the the twist with the the villain in the end is is definitely telegraphed. But you know, I mean, it, it it's a movie of highs and lows for me. It just it 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 just is a, a more of a roller coaster for me than these guys. So I give it a three. And I'll be the 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 one to go on the opposite end of of the spectrum from that. Um, I do agree that that Amy is fumbled a little bit. Um, I think it's more about a matter of moments though than than uh, than being outright bad or anything. And uh, I do agree there's a little bit of, of fumbling with the the kind of twist or whatever reveal on cap the 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 ship captain guy but i was just like delighted by this from end to end it just is touching and heartwarming and fun and funny and hopeful and optimistic and so much of it was just a much needed injection of brightness and warmth and and fun at a time when things were so dark. And I mean, the election was ramping up too, and we all know how fun that was. (laughs) Um, But just in general to have movies like that around, like, especially for me, like I don't watch like a lot of fluff, you know, I mean, I I don't think any of us do. We don't watch like fluff, like romantic comedies and things like that. I'm not, I'm not a a big fluff guy. So to have a movie that, that's, that kind of, hits on that that spectrum a little bit of like just being more positive and uplifting and doesn't you know have to have a character getting skinned alive uh in order to bring its message across um it just it all worked for me and it all gelled really really well and i loved the robot and i loved the the effects like i again like this is 30 million dollars it looks way better than that budget and it's not afraid to show that budget off either you know to be like yeah we're 30 million dollars and there's some things that don't look great but like you can see what does or doesn't look great um and when it uses nighttime sequences it actually uses them to add to the effect it doesn't just shroud things in darkness just because um and I just, I loved like almost every single second 
that I was watching it, and I give it a four and a half out of five. It was one of my favorite movies of the year, maybe my favorite movie. I don't know. It wasn't my favorite movie. For me, it's uh, it's up there with that, Vast of Night, and After Midnight. Those are like my top three movies of 2020. Well, I'm glad you liked it so much. He said begrudgingly. <laughs> this didn't make my this didn't make my top movies of uh, 2020, but both Underwater and Spontaneous did. So uh, so good on you, Brian Duffield. You're... I haven't seen Sp- I, I haven't seen Spontaneous yet. Underwater that was another one that was okay. I gave it a three. Spontaneous okay. didn't make mine, but Underwater did. So, I've seen none of those, but yeah, there you go. I want to see Underwater though. I would tell you, Underwater and, and Love and Monsters, you know, they're they're worth renting, maybe. Uh, Spontaneous, I know it's supposed to be good, but Tom Tom's take on it, I don't. I don't know that I want to put my heart through that. I know it's just a movie, but there's some things I'm like, yeah, I don't think. I don't, but if it, for what it's worth, man, I don't necessarily agree with Tom's take. We, we already hashed, we already talked about this in the thread, though. But yeah. All right. Well, well, that's Love and Monsters, people. Go watch it. If you like love and you like monsters, check it out. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.